All right, if you got a Bible, open it up to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. If you haven't been here for the last several weeks, we're just preaching through the gospel according to John, and it is arguably one of the greatest books in the Bible to understand who Jesus is because the purpose of John's gospel, as he tells us in John chapter 20, is to believe, for us to believe who Jesus is. And we have now gone through chapters one through two, and we are in chapter three, and chapter three is arguably the greatest chapter, not only in John, but one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. Uh, and I don't mean that in offense to other chapters in the Bible, but it's just in this chapter, we have arguably the greatest verse in the Bible in John chapter 3, 16. And so if you're new here today, you're getting probably the greatest verse, and maybe you've heard it before because we're going to be in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 today. Before we get into that, though, we have to back up a little bit and read chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 to kind of understand context. But in this verse is arguably the greatest idea or thought or, or thing that we could know about God, because we're going to understand not only who God is, but what God did because he loved us so much. And so if you were here last week, we actually talked about the beginning part of chapter three, where we looked at the story of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a guy, a religious leader who came to Jesus in the middle of the night, and he was asking questions about who Jesus is because he was confused. And that's okay if we're confused about who Jesus is. That happens to all of us at some point in time in our journey. But it is a question that we must really wrestle down. Who is Jesus? It's the most important question we could ever think to answer. Because if we don't know who Jesus is, then it can have consequences, not only for this life, but for the next. So we want you to know who Jesus is. And so we're, we're understanding, kind of looking at this story of Nicodemus to say how he came to Jesus. He came in the dark as he was confused that Jesus gives him answers, not only of who Jesus is, but how Nicodemus needs to respond to that and then ultimately be born again. And that's what we talked about last week if you were here. But now we're in the part of the story where Jesus is starting to explain to him not only who he is, but what he is there to do. He is there to save the world. But in chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, and I referenced this at the end of the message last week, Jesus is going to go back into the Old Testament because Nicodemus was a teacher of the scriptures, of what the Jewish people would just call scriptures, we call the Old Testament, that he misunderstood something and Jesus is trying to make it clear. So let's look at verse 14 and 15 and then we'll get into verse 16. So here on the screen, it says, and Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him, the son of man may have eternal life. And so Jesus is helping Nicodemus. And then by default, us as well, understand who he is by appealing to a story that literally happened in the old Testament. And I told you this last week, I don't know if you read it, but in Numbers chapter 21, you can go back and read it on another time, but I'll kind of recap quickly for you what happened in the story. The nation of Israel was slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and then God frees them through the story of the Exodus, and then he's taking them on to the promised land, and on their way to the promised land, they start complaining. Now, I know humans don't complain anymore. Right, so this is kind of foreign for us. Like, it's just like, oh, that is a weird phenomenon. People were complaining. And so they're on this way to the promised land and they start griping, but they start griping against God. And, and I know humans, we've never done that either, right? Like, 
they're griping against God, saying, God, you're, you're not doing what we think you should be doing. And so then this crazy story, and this, again, legit happened, God sends snakes. I mean, that's kind of terrifying. One of the things that terrified the disciples about Jesus when he calms the winds and the waves, and they stand back and like, who is this that the winds and the waves obey him? Well, not only the winds and waves obey him, the snakes do. So God sends snakes, and this is crazy, I know, but I'll explain to you why it's important to understand, and the snakes start biting people. I don't know if you've ever been bitten by a snake, but it doesn't normally end well. And so now they're legit dying, and now they start crying out to Moses saying, hey, we're sorry, we shouldn't have complained against God, we forgot he controls the snakes, can you pray to him? And, and help these relent. We, we don't want this to happen anymore. Naturally, I wouldn't either. So then Moses prays to God, and then God says to them, or says to Moses, make a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole, lift it up in the presence of the people, and when they look to the serpent on the pole, they'll be healed. In essence, they'll be saved. And you read that story, and you're like, was God just having a bad day? What was going on here? And unfortunately, there's modern people today or postmodern people or however you want to say, describe yourself, enlightened people that look at that story and think, I don't know if I could follow a God that would act like that. That seems childish. But here's what's going on under the surface that we need to know. Very similar to what happened in the garden in Genesis chapter three and four. Without physical consequences to our spiritual decisions, we would not understand how serious things are. We wouldn't understand it. This is why after Adam and Eve sinned, not only were they banished from the presence of God, but a physical consequence was death. Now they were separated from God, and they also would not have life forever. And without that physical consequence, we don't understand the greater spiritual reality or the greater spiritual problem that's going on. So this is what my contention was last week. And I just want to remind you in case you weren't here. And even if you were, you may have forgotten. But all of us are bitten with something that's worse than being bit by a snake. And metaphorically, which is crazy, which is one of the reasons why I think God did it. Back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, it was the serpent, Right? They believe the lie of the serpent. And you're like, man, they just took an apple from a tree. And an old preacher joke was, it wasn't the apple on the tree. It was the pear on the ground. Get it? If you don't know, ask somebody later, all right? But the point was not it was just an apple in a tree. The point was they believed the lie from the serpent. And so therefore, they had been bitten by the thought God's holding out on us. And that's why God sends these serpents to help them understand that they're bitten with something that's worse than being bit from the serpent or the snake, and it is called sin. There's something internal that's worse than being bitten even by a snake. This is why Jesus warns in Luke chapter 12, don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear him who after the body is killed can throw your soul in hell. And so the idea of what is happening in Numbers chapter 21 that Jesus is referring back to here in his conversation with Nicodemus is, listen, there's a problem in the world and the problem is sin. So in the same way God acted then, he's acting now, except then Moses fashioned a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. Now God is going to put the son of man on a pole called the cross. 
to deal with sin, to deal with the thing that's really killing us. And so that is the conversation Jesus is having with Nicodemus. That's the background. Now that's the setup for verse 16, John 3, 16, which if you've ever been around church before, you should know this verse. Even if you haven't been, you may have heard this verse before, but I'll read it to you. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now the sentence starts with four. That's why we had to back up two verses and understand the context. Because if you've ever been around here before, I always try to teach you how to study the Bible. When you see something starting with the word for or therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is it there for? All right, what is it there for? It's connecting back to a previous thought. It can't start on its own. So what Jesus is saying here is in the same way God sent the Moses to put the serpent on the bronze or the bronze serpent on the pole and people looked, God is now going to put the son of man on a pole called the cross. And when you look to him, you'll be saved or born again. So I want you to see these connections. So Jesus tells Nicodemus, you have to be born again. How does that happen? You have to look to the son that's going to be on the pole for you. And then he's saying the actions of why God put that in place, the why Jesus died is because God loved. So the grounding of God's actions is love. Now, this is why this is so important. You know, I don't know your relationship status, if you're married, if you're single, but you've probably lived long enough to have enough interactions with people that you know when someone is doing something for you because they love you. Their tone, their motivations, their actions are different. Let me give you an example. Mother's Day is coming up soon. In fact, we're two weeks away, gentlemen. And as I learned very quickly, not only do you give a gift to your mama, but you give a gift to your baby's mama, your wife. All right? Because hopefully you think they're a good mom. Now, my mom went to be with Jesus almost eight years ago, and so I don't get the privilege and honor of doing that anymore. And so now my attention goes to my wife, who is the mother of my two children. Now, let's just play a scenario here. If on Mother's Day, I give my wife a gift, and I say something like this, here's your Mother's Day gift. You know, I didn't want you to think that I was a bad husband and not get you something, so here it is. Ladies, you feel very loved? No. Or you go further, you know, I mean, I didn't want you to say something bad about me to your friends. Like I'm not a good husband or a good father. I don't love you. So here's the gift. You don't feel very loved. Yeah, I mean, you can hear it in the audience. I mean, automatically, even those of you watching online, like hairs on the back of your head thinking he better not. Man, this is why I'm warning you, trying to help you out. See, it's not just the action of giving something. It's the motivation behind the action that matters, right? Because I'm going to get a far different response if I say to my wife, you know what, Lens? I think you're an incredible mother. I mean, our kids are so blessed to have a woman like you. And I love you so much that I wanted you to know on this day how great of a mom that you are. So I 
gave you this. A little different response, moms? Yeah. Got some woohoos in the audience. Yeah. Because it's not just what I did. It's the motive or the heart behind what I did. Now apply this to God's actions. Here's the good news of the gospel. What Jesus himself just said is God didn't give you the son because he was annoyed with you. He didn't say, well, you really messed up. You can't do anything without me. You guys are horrible people. And I feel bad that I made you. You messed it all up. So here you go. Does that make you feel very loved? No. Because let's be straight. If I acted like that, like what I described with my wife, am I giving something to her because I really love her? Let me, let me say, am I giving the gift to her or am I giving the gift to myself because I don't want her to think I'm not good? See, here's what's crazy. A lot of our giving is done out of a sense of, I don't, it's not that I really love you. I just don't want you to think bad of me. And so therefore I'm not giving this to you. I'm giving this to me. And here's what Jesus said. God doesn't give like that. His giving of Jesus, his putting his son on the cross for you was done out of love. Now, here's what makes the Christian faith different. In fact, again, I say this all the time because I want you to go study it. Go study every other world religion that exists on the planet today. Christianity is the only one who, at the beginning of it all, you have a personal God who is motivated out of love. Who's motivated, who created, who did everything because he is love, as John tells us in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. You can go read those two, same author. He says God is love. And so you wouldn't know love if you didn't know there was a God. Because let's be honest, love at the end of the day gets in the way of a lot of stuff. Because you can give, you can have transactions with people, you can do things and not have love. And so love, a lot of times, just messes stuff up to the point of like, hey, because love is costly. But at the end of everything, or a better way to say at the beginning of everything, the Bible says we had a God who is love. And every action step he has ever taken in human history, he did because he loved. Now that puts a different spin on things. He's not annoyed with you. He's not doing it just because he feels guilty. He's doing it because he loves. For God so loved the world. Now, another thing we got to talk about here is the phrase, the world. Now, in the sense of words, as always, you know, words can have multiple meanings. Well, there's the word world. And you're like, okay, what is he talking about? This ball of stuff floating through the universe. In John, particularly, who wrote this, the word world can kind of have two meanings, but one is kind of more than the other. And what I mean by that is this. 
In one sense, because Jesus says here, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever. So in one sense, when he's saying world, he's referring to every group of people on the planet. And this is a good thing about Christianity as well. The love of God isn't relegated to one people group, one descendant, one family. Again, you think historically Israel, even then God told Abram, um, I am going to bless the nations through you. So it was always about the nations. And the biblical idea of nations is not countries in the way we think of countries with borders and boundaries and languages. The biblical idea of nations is ethnos, people groups. And so there is no one people group that, that God loves more than the other or one class of people that has access to God that all don't have. And so in one sense, it's whoever. It's whoever. And that's the good thing about the gospel. And that's where our churches, why I say this often, should reflect that. Our churches should reflect the fact that we are trying to be heaven on earth where every tribe, every tongue is represented. Every class of people. Because that is who God loves. But in a bigger, kind of deeper sense, John personally uses the world not to just describe groups of people, but how bad people are. So in one sense, you can think of it like this. For God so loved the evil world. It's, he's going to say this in a minute. Jesus is going to talk about darkness and light. We'll get into this next week. But it's this idea that God loves dark people. Not about skin tone, but about inside. Sinful people. People that are evil. Now, it's real easy to look at the world and through our kind of selfish lens, point out evil, right? Oh, that person's evil. Oh, that person's evil. Oh, that person's evil. And we normally quantify that by, you know, dictatorships, killed lots of people. Oh, that's evil. But, but I want you to understand something. You know the two ways you can tell that evil exists in the world? One is you can watch the news. Two is you can look in the mirror. Because what's staring back at you in the mirror is evil. Now, this is when you're like, well, that ain't making me feel very loved. Oh, but it will. Let me show you why. The depth of your understanding of your own capacity and ability and I would just say corruptness to sin, how evil you are, the depth that you understand how evil you are is the depth to which you will know how much God loves you. Let me say it to you like this. If you think you're this amount of evil, you think God's this amount of love. But if you think you're this amount of evil, then it's this amount of love. But see, we get it twisted and we think, no, 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 I'm a, I'm a pretty good person who, yeah, occasionally makes bad decisions. No, you got it flipped. Here's what the Bible says. You're a corrupt through and through evil person who occasionally makes good decisions. And most often those good decisions are altruistic for yourself. 
See, you and I all are evil because evil is not just dictators who have taken the lives of hundreds or thousands of people. Evil is you in your heart having the capacity to do that. But then Jesus goes a step further in your mind. You do that. See, the reason why Jesus wants us to understand God's love is because he doesn't want you to misunderstand the depth of it. If you know how sinful you are, then you will begin to start to know how loving God is. And this is why I don't understand. Again, I didn't grow up in church. Some of y'all did. But I don't understand the game of trying to act like we're better than we are. I don't understand. It's a lame hobby to me. If I wear a suit and have a Bible cover, I'm holy. Nope. I don't understand how Christians so quickly can try to defend themselves as if they're, they're good people. No. Because I don't know about you, but I know me. And I am mortified at the things, not just that I did, but the things that I thought about doing that I actually might have done if I wasn't afraid of the consequence. Or someone didn't walk in at that time. Someone didn't call me at that time. Or a cop showed up at that time. Right? And this is why I'm, try, I'm trying to push you to understand because if you play games about how sinful you really are, then you'll play games with how loving God really is. And I don't know about you, but once I understood that God could love, like the song says, a wrench, a wretch like me. I think both of those are fine. <laughs> I know what the song says, but here's my philosophy. I'll be a little ghetto. What does a wrench do? It twists things. I'm twisted. And what Jesus is trying to ground God's actions in is his love for you. He loved you so much, the evil you, that he gave. And this is the part I want us to really think about. In fact, let me give you this point. You can give without loving. I've already shown you that. But you can't love without giving. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Love, in and of its very definition, is sacrificial. It means I'm giving up something. See, the problem is not that you don't know how to love. The problem is you just love yourself more. So you sacrifice for yourself more than you do for others. Love requires sacrifice. It requires a giving. It requires a letting go of something. And what Jesus wants us to understand that God had no problem giving his son because of how much he loves the evil us. But because he loved us, he gave. It was natural to do. 
And this is where I want us to understand the concept of giving, because if we don't ground giving in the love of God, then we will, number one, not understand how much he loved us. And number two, we won't act like God when it comes to giving. So just a little side note here. I say side note. I'm going to park here on this subject for a second and, and talk about the subject of he gave. Because I want you to understand what giving is. And unfortunately, in church world, a lot of times, giving can be controversial. And it shouldn't be. It's, it's like there are things that are unnecessarily controversial. Like people think the world is flat. Is the world round or is it flat? Well, I'm going to go with the, the men and women who have flown up outside of it and looked back and sent me a picture. It's round. I don't need emails, all right? Well, actually, it's... It ain't controversial. It shouldn't be. It's like gravity. That's not a controversial subject. But yet in church, a lot of times... The subject of giving is so controversial, but yet Jesus grounds giving in the gospel. And that's how we should understand it. And so I want to talk a second of two parts of how the Bible, I believe, describes giving. Not just of our money, our time, our talents, everything, but obviously primarily for us, when we hear the word, that's what we think about monetarily. Two things I want you to hear. And I'll show you two different scriptures to back it up. One is what the Bible calls tithing. Tithing is, it means 10th and it means returning to the Lord. And here's the thing that I want you to understand. Tithing is not giving because giving is something that's yours, that you're giving away. But what the Bible says is the tithe belongs to him. So I'm simply returning to him what is his. You see this all throughout scripture. Interestingly enough, you actually see this before the law was ever given because you see it when Abraham tithes to Melchizedek. It's an honor. You actually see Genesis 4, Cain and Abel offering to the Lord. So apparently it was built into the fabric of how humans interact with God. And so when it comes to tithing, I want you to understand it's 10%, but it's not just 10, it's the first 10. That's important. Bible calls it first fruits. It's the first 10. It's where I'm returning to the Lord what is his. And here's why. I joke about this often. You say, why 10? Why first? Because it's just enough to make you mad. I believe it. I can't show you scripture. To, I just, why 10, Lord? Why not 12? Why not 15? Why not five? Because ten's just enough to be like, mm. this is me emulating writing a check, by the way. Remember those things? Now it's... And, and here's the test. And it's a test, Malachi 3 says, am I going to trust the Lord? Am I going to return to the Lord the 10 that belongs to him and trust that he can do more with the 90 than I could do with the 100? It's a test. So tithing is the biblical concept. And I want to show you how Jesus himself affirmed this. Look at Matthew 23, 23. Jesus is having a conversation with religious people. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
For you tithe, there's the word, 10%, mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These, those last three, you ought to have done. The word there ought means you must do. Without neglecting, that means leave undone the others. What is the others? Tithing. So here's Jesus himself affirming the practice of tithing, but here's how he's saying it. And this is why I'm saying it shouldn't be controversial. Jesus is saying, this is the base level stuff. Tithing is the base level. You got to get on to the weightier things like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And there's been a lot of conversations in our culture here lately about justice. And I'm so glad, but one of the biggest failures is there's a lack of understanding biblical justice, which we talked about in our series in Micah last year. You can go back and watch that doing justice because it's important to understand what justice is and why God cares about it. But here's where so many Christians fail. And you want to know my honest opinion, why most Christians fail at justice, mercy, and faithfulness is because they're still talking about the controversialness of tithing. They're still back there in the shallow end when God's trying to move them to the weightier ends. Because there's been so many studies done on this to where it's almost now irrefutable that the average Christian, hear me, the average believer tithes 2.5% of their income to their local church. 2.5. And in the average church, only 25% of the people actually tithe. I thought it was fascinating. 2.5, 25. Quarter. And that is true, baby. A quarter of the people do most of the work. <laughs> and most of the people do a quarter of the work. And this is when you're like, I think you're talking about giving, God loving this. And yeah. But you want to know why most Christians don't do it? Because they don't understand how much God loves them. They don't ground it in the gospel. But what's interesting, every time Paul argues about, not argues, but encourages people to give, he always grounds it in the gospel. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that's exactly what he does. But now I want to use that same thing to talk about a different aspect, uh, not tithing, but just now above that, giving, or what the Bible calls sacrificial giving or offerings. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 and 8. It's here on the screen as well. Each one must give, same idea of word in John 3, 16, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, the reason I brought this verse up is because I have had this verse used many, many times for people to explain to me why they don't have to tithe. Because it's like here, Paul says, I get to decide how much I give. And here's how I lovingly respond to people. You do get to decide how much you give over 10%. That is your decision. Because that is what Paul's talking about here. Paul is doing a one-time offering for Jerusalem believers who in Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5 thought Jesus was coming back in like a week. So they sold everything and gave it. Now, five years later, Jesus hadn't returned. They broke. Paul's out raising money to send it back to them. And Paul says, I'll be there on Monday. Pick it up. 
So this is a one-time offering. This is a giving. And what Paul is saying is you get to decide how much you do that. And the reason why I push back to people who will use verses like this to say, I don't have to tithe, I would lovingly say, oh, so you're going to use the Bible to say you can actually do less than what the law commanded? I don't understand that. Because in the New Testament, it never lessens the Old Testament laws. It only ups them. Jesus takes it from actions to thoughts and internal attitudes. So I never understand, again, the controversy around why believers would say, I can actually do less because the Spirit of God will only lead you to do more. So tithing, returning the 10, giving is above and beyond the 10. Makes sense? It's pretty simple. So you do get to decide how much you Give how generous you will be because generosity is anything beyond 10%. And my contention to you is this too. I hope that you will become very generous people. See, early on in my life, I used to think that having money was bad until I realized, no, it's not having money that's bad. It's money having me that's bad. And now what I understand is if I'm faithful with a little, God will give me more because he can trust me. And so there's a lot of us thinking, well, I will tithe or I will give more when I get more. And I would lovingly say to you, no, you won't get more until you give more. This is why when people say I can't afford to tithe, I lovingly say you can't afford not to. And so you're praying for God to bless you with more. And God's like, I would love to bless you with more if I could trust you with more. Why would God give us more so that with that very thing that he gave us, we would disobey him with? You see what I'm saying? And so when it comes to generosity, what I want you to see is God loved you so much that he gave. So give to the level that God gave to you. That's gospel. Now, you understand obviously what tithing is to your local church. But giving is to causes outside of that or causes that the local church is a part of that's advancing mission and ministry beyond just the church. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that before I do that. I want to show you a quick video to show you some stuff. You guys check this out and then I'll come back.
Man, yeah, you can clap for that. Seeing that footage just fires me up, man, because that is not random footage that we found on the internet that we thought it'd be a great idea to play a Sarah McLaughlin song to. That was footage from our team when we were there last February in 2020 BC, before COVID. And we were there because we were on mission, and that's a part of our church and our partnership that we have with Serve International. We were actually dedicating our third Revolution Church location. That's where I was cutting that orange ribbon, and we went inside. The camera goes inside. You saw a sign. I don't know if you saw it, but love Jesus, grow people. And then above that, it said, love Jesus, grow people in Swahili. Because we believe in not only the mission of the local church, but we believe in multiplying that mission around the world because that's what Jesus told us to do. And so because of our partnership with Serve International, who has been working in Northwest Kenya for over a decade and feeding people and also our orphanage, our house of hope that we work with, serve with, and we actually, a lot of us sponsor kids They've been feeding people and using food as a, flat, a platform to share Christ. And here's how kind of the strategy works. Is they'll roll into villages who not only live in a food desert, like what we would call here where there's no public within driving distance, but they live in Publix. They live in a desert desert. There's no food or water at all. And so we'll roll in, we will feed people, and we keep feeding people and keep feeding people. We show the Jesus film a lot of times in their language, and literally hundreds of people come to Christ. Last year, 595 people trusted Jesus as a result of the ministry of our three churches. Yeah, come on. And then we'll come in right behind that as the church, and we will plant a church there, actually build a facility. A lot of times, and even last year, this was really cool, a couple, a very generous couple in our church actually paid to have a well dug, and now we're going to plant our fourth church at that place where we've been feeding, have water, we put a church, and it now becomes kind of the center of life. So all these people come to get fed and get water, and we tell them about Jesus so they can have the living water. And I don't mean that church. I mean that for real. And, and so this is amazing thing that's been happening. And, and, and here's what's crazy. It's gone so well that we have more opportunities to feed more people. We asked uh, our team there, and, and our church actually pays the salaries of these pastors as well. And we asked them, hey, are you guys ready to plant another church? Because we we're doing the fourth. And they're like, oh, we got 11 or 12 lined up already. And we're like, oh my gosh, what do we do here in America? We waste so much time on things that don't matter. And, and what I want to tell you today is you have a great opportunity to join us in the mission of multiplying the gospel among all nations. And so when you came in today, if you're one of our locations, you got one of these cards on your seat. I want you to grab this card. All right. I mean, you really need one per family, but it's fine if you take more than that. And if you're online, we'll put this in the chat. And on the front, you'll see photos. Now, here's the cool thing. There are 200 different photos on these cards. And these photos are actual people from our Revolution Church Namarion that we planted last year. So these 200 people, and what we want to do as a church, if you've been around, you may have heard this before. We want you to join what we call meal a month and actually give... Remember the difference between tithing and giving. $30 a month, so if you'll turn it around on the back, you'll see, give $30 a month to feed one person for a month. 
And they are fed out of this bag right here. This bag, this bag will feed one person for a month. There's 50 meals in this. It's crazy. Service just figured out this amazing blend of food that's so nutritious because if they don't have food, then they can't hear or stay alive literally to hear about Jesus. And so one month will supply a person or $30 will supply food for a month. Now, here's what I want you to see. Today, I'm not asking you to give $30. I'm asking you to redirect $30 out of your food budget and actually go without a meal, which might have some good health benefits for us. All right? Fasting has become very popular. It's like, well, it's been very biblical. And so we do fast. We do the 21-day fast at the beginning of the year. So this is a way to continue that fast every month where you fast a meal and you redirect that $30 to someone else so that they can eat and you pray and fast on their behalf. So we want you to take this card with you today. Again, you can take more than one, but take this card with you, put it on your fridge or on your mirror or someone in your house or your car, somewhere that you will see every day and pray for these people because these people are our Revolution Church family. They are our church. I have been there, hugged them, killed a goat and ate with them. I didn't actually eat the goat, but I was a part of the killing. Sorry. They asked me if I wanted to stab it. I'm like, no, you guys are pros of this. I'm good. We've actually lived with these people. We minister to these people. We support the pastor that pastors to these people. And so we are looking for at least 200 people today to sign up for meal a month. On the back, there's a QR code. You can scan that. You can sign up. We have people in both lobbies today that you can go and sign up. They'll help you sign up. And this is $30 a month where you're redirecting money to feed someone else. And $30 for a meal here is nothing. But here's why I want you to do it. I honestly can't think of a better way, a better thing for you to invest in that's actually leading to people coming to know Jesus. So now let's go back to John chapter three, verse 17. I want you to see this connection, then we're done. For God did not send his son. I'm going to read that again. When I say the word sin, I want you to say it with me. All right. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So I want you to connect this. You got love, you got give and send, and you got saved. See, when you and I understand how much God loved us, that he gave and sent his son, we will be saved. But there's a second level to this. When we understand that if we love the world like God does, we will give and send as well and more people will be saved. See, the process doesn't start, stop with us. It goes through us for more people to be saved. So I want you to hear me say this. If you will redirect $30 a month to people being fed, not just being fed, but also being fed the gospel we will see Christ come. We will see salvation happen, the kingdom of God advance. And this is why I say, I can't think of a better way for you to strategically get involved in what our church or what God is doing through our church. And you can do more than one meal a month. My family and I, we do three, because that's a whole day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So three meals a month, we've been doing this for years. I would never ask you to do something that we ourselves are not doing 
And here's what fires me up about it. Not because God allows me to be in on what he's doing. That's amazing enough. But when I get to heaven and hopefully he'll hear the words from Jesus, well done. I, I just play in my mind. How many people are going to come up afterwards and say, I'm here in heaven today because you gave. Because you fed, you may not even know me. Thank you for giving. Thank you for sending. And so church, we have an incredible opportunity. Again, I'm praying we have way more than 200 people sign up for this because if we have more than 200, we get to go into more villages, feed more people, plant more churches. It's an incredible opportunity. And if you will understand how much God loves you, You'll receive that gift and be saved. And if you understand how much he loves you, you will pass on that gift to others so that they can be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace in our life. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son in our place for our sin. There is no message like the gospel that you loved us, so you gave and sent your son. And God, I know there are people gathered with us today online and in person who have not received that gift, have not trusted Jesus and been saved. So God, I pray right now that you would open their eyes to see the truth of who you are so they can respond in faith and be saved. No one looking around or talking here as we close, but if you've never trusted Jesus, if you've never understood that God loved you so much that he gave, then today is the day that you can receive that gift and be saved. So if you want to trust Jesus in just a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And it's not about the prayer that saves you. It's just simply your confession to God in response to his sacrifice for you. So if you want to trust Jesus, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son Jesus in my place for my sin. I'm trusting in Jesus alone, who died in my place and rose again. I ask you to forgive me, save me. Thank you so much for loving me. Now, if you're here in one of our locations and you just prayed to trust Jesus, very simply, I want you to do this. Nobody looking around or talking, so you don't have to be embarrassed. But if you just prayed to trust Jesus, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Just lift it up. Thank you. The only reason I'm asking is we got men and women going to walk around, give you a Bible, give you a gift. We want to help you in your next steps. And so when you get that, you can put your hand down. Thank you. In just a moment, whether you're online or in person, you'll have an opportunity to fill out a, that digital connection card we were talking about earlier and let us know that you trusted Jesus. And now those of us who have trusted Jesus, and maybe today you were reminded by how much God loves you, I want to encourage you to take your next step of obedience. Maybe you are not a tither. And God is encouraging you today, challenging you today through the word to trust him. Just trust him. Take your next step. And then if you want to be a part of what God is doing in the world, the world that he loves, and that's why I love what we're doing. This is literally on the other side of the world in Kenya. Then sign up today. Redirect funds. 
go without, pray fast so that the gospel would go forward because I want you to understand something. If the church would tithe, if the church would give, the gospel would go forward and then Jesus would return. We love to talk about how bad the world is and think that politicians are our answer and it's not. If the church would just get into what Jesus is doing in the world so that the gospel can go forward, sin can be dealt with, and then Jesus will return. So if you want to get on what God is doing, I want to highly encourage you to sign up today. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for all that you're doing and that you will do. And we ask you to not only bless today, bless our time together, but bless our efforts to join you in this mission so that more people can be saved. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church.